Hello everybody, how's it going? I am Chase Jarvis and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. This is where I sit down with the world's top creatives, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders with the singular goal. Actually, that's wrong. Two goals. One goal to have fun. Goal two, to unpack a bunch of actionable and valuable insights that aim to help you live your dreams in career, in hobby, and life. My guest today is Brandon Stanton, the creator of The Humans of New York. You know that site. If you don't know that site, well, you're one of the few people in my ecosystem who doesn't. I don't want to blame you because there, I don't know stuff all the time. You are either a person who's like, oh my God, I love Humans of New York. It's I go there every single day. Or if you're not that person, you need to become that person. That's how good it is. In short, this is a cross-section of the, the human condition in New York. And it's actually, spoiler alert, he goes beyond New York. He goes um, all over the world and studies some refugees and whatnot. But his study is a very simple process. He photographs them and then asks them what their biggest stories are, their biggest challenges, these moments in their life. And people, it's just, it's extraordinary. We are all in this together. And no one shares that concept better than Brandon Stanton in his project called The Humans of New York. He is a multiple number one New York Times bestselling author on the back of this work that he's been doing from for, I think, five years now. He's shot photos and posted stories every day, multiple stories for like five years. In this episode, it's not just about photography and about the stories of the human condition. We also learn from Brandon what it's like to look at your work as having responsibility towards a mission and a vision and how much easier it is to get out of bed in the morning when you're doing it for yourself and the people that you care about and want to be around instead of working for the man. And if you're sitting there thinking, I don't know if I can do that. I have an X and a Y and all these responsibilities. This episode's for you because he we talk a little bit about how that mentality can keep you down and what you can do to, to break out of it. We do discuss his post, which is the most read, the single most popular Facebook post of all time is discussed on this episode. That in itself is a fascinating, uh, a fascinating expose. In short, I'm, I'm good friends with Brandon. We have a fantastic conversation. If you are interested in chasing your dreams, this is a person who's lived it. The book is incredible. It's something that uh, it's it's probably the number one gift book that I have given in the last couple of years. And hopefully that alone that that alone is enough to get you to be very excited about this episode. And without further ado, I should just shut my trap and let you listen in on my conversation with the one, the only, Brandon Stanton from Humans of New York. But before I do, <laughs> I want to share a message from our sponsor because I think our sponsor is awesome. This episode is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest hub for online creative education. Education in photo, video, art design, music and audio, and the ability to make a living and a life in those disciplines. It's the highest quality, highly curated classes taught by the world's top experts. We're talking Pulitzer Prize winners, Oscar winners, Grammy Award winners, New York Times bestselling authors, and the best entrepreneurs of our time. Names like Richard Branson, Mark Cuban, Ariana Huffington are on the platform. And you get classes taught from guys like Tim Ferriss, Lewis Howes, uh, Ramit Sethi. I, again, I could list uh, a thousand other names of the top photographers, designers, musicians, 
the best in class, you get it. Now, right now, if you're familiar with me and my work, you might be saying, well, wait a minute, isn't that a company that you started, Chase? Well, yes, it is. In fact, Creative Live makes this entire podcast possible. And in fact, all of my longstanding Chase Jarvis Live shows. Creative Live has millions of students around the world. More than 2 billion minutes of education have been consumed on that video platform. So, you know, that's a little bit of the sort of the what and the how behind Creative Live. But here's the why, which I think is so critical. Creative Live exists to help you live your dreams in career, hobby, and life. In short, I started Creative Live with a bunch of really committed friends because we saw a, a big need in the world. We wanted to help our peers and friends and, and folks out there in the world transition to new careers, live new dreams, take the leap, if you will, into an entirely different sort of direction where you can leave that job, maybe your job with the man, and strike out on your own. I also saw my peers in the photo and the design world needing to sort of up their skills and get ahead. And I saw friends who were happily working at great companies but wanted to pursue their hobby to a next level that you know, might someday parlay into a side hustle. So we built that platform. Uh, these classes at Creative Live are the most highly and authentically produced of any of the online video platforms you'll experience. The top experts, it's all shot with 48 cameras, all in HD, beautifully presented and accessible on desktop, tablet, mobile. You know I stand for quality and that's what Creative Live uh, puts out. To that end, I have also taken it upon myself to curate a handful of my very favorite classes and mix them in with some of the top performing classes on Creative Live. And I'll bake that into a landing page called creativelive.com slash hustle just for you. This community listens to our podcast here. So you should go there and you should check that out as a special thank you for being a podcast listener. If you find a class that you love, either from the ones that I've curated or elsewhere on the site, and you want to buy it, during checkout, enter the code CHASER. That's my name plus an R, just C-H-A-S-E-R. And do that during checkout and you'll get 25% off your order. Uh, I think that's awesome and I hope you do too. So thanks very much for checking it out. Let me know what you think. Now that's it for the sponsors. Uh, now let's get into the show. Hey, buddy. Hey, Welcome buddy. to the show. Thank Thanks, you so Chase. much. Come on. Throw it here. <laughs> it's good to see you. I, I, I get to see you like maybe every third time I'm in New York. Right. Um, not enough. But oh, really? So you, you come to New York two times? <laughs> I thought you, thought, thought you let me know every time you oh, came to New York. That's okay, though. Dagger. Sometimes I'm in, I'm in and out too fast. <laughs> and you're in, you're in Bangladesh or you're in Turkey or you've been on the road a lot, too. So humans of New York, um, certainly, I mean, I don't know, the superlatives aside, it's one of the most biggest whatever. It is a force of nature. Um, what I know about this thing is you started it as a, a, a some sort of an ethnography many years ago, and since that time, every single day, you've been sharing stories about people. Started out in New York, and then you've expanded that to be global. So, give us a little bit of a backstory. I mean, I, I seriously, I don't know. There's no one in my friend circle who doesn't pay attention to what you're doing. But for the the odd folk who are just now learning about you and humans of New York, your site. Tell us. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, Humans of New York began um, most simply when I lost my job. And I wanted to find a way to basically structure my life so that I could do something that I enjoyed all day long. I wanted to make just enough money to be able to control my time. And at the time, I enjoyed photography. And to make a long story short, I had this idea for a crazy sweeping photography project where I was going to come to New York City photograph 10,000 people on the streets of New York, and then plot their photos on a map. 
And through the process of doing that, through the process of stopping thousands of strangers on the street, I naturally started kind of conversing with these people and learning little bits As about As you have them. to do when you take a picture of them, right? Yeah. You, to get the best picture, you need to like, engage them. And they would sometimes say some funny things or some wacky things, and then I started to realize, you know, these interactions that I'm having are so much more interesting and so much more rare than the photos themselves. And so Humans of New York became more about stopping people on the street and learning about them or interviewing them to the point where today, you know, it began with me, and it was like this for over a year, just stopping thousands of people on the street, taking their photo. Whole interaction lasted about 30 seconds or a minute. Now I'm stopping just a few people every day and sometime can spend two hours with them. Wow. That's even progressed since you turned the cameras on me. It's, yeah, it's, I remember that very well. Um, and I mean, it's progressed since six months ago. You know, it's just, and that is, you know, something that I take a lot of pride in is that always being tough on myself, always being tough on my work and asking myself always, what can I do to make myself like this better? And always trying to move along those lines. So yeah, I mean, at any point in the life of Humans of New York, the work is almost unrecognizable from a point six months beforehand. And wow. you know that kind of evolution and that kind of development, I think, is one thing that helps to keep it fresh. Is that something that you set out to do? Or you did not know what you set I out to do? I think I'm just, I think I'm just, I get bored easily. And I think that's such a value as an artist. Like, I am the definition of ADD. I just get so bored. Uh, so quickly and I think it's such a blessing to be the first one that gets bored with your own work That's so true and the flip side uh, I guess maybe a different side of the same coin is that a lot of one of the things that happens to uh, Myself included and many artists that I know is that you get tired of something Long before I would say your audience or the people who pay attention to work I don't, I don't love the word audience, but the people who pay attention to your work. They're just Someone who's two or three people or two or three thousand people or two or three thousand miles removed from you is just now hearing about it. So right. it's fresh right, right. for every new person that comes across your work. It's fresh. And yet if you're always moving, it's very hard to sort of pin you down. But one of the things that I love about your project as a creator myself is the, the flexibility that you built into it. Flexibility with the, the media, the medium that you're in at any one given time. Like you said, you started out in photography and then it was photography plus words. And now you might be doing some other things and expanding that not just geographically, but uh, or, or not just conceptually, but geographically. Yet it's still at its core right. the same thing. And that's right. a beautiful thing in a project. So as someone who, as you, you know, self-described ADD, you're always moving. Do you feel like... Um, is there some sort of anxiety about never being done or is that refreshing? To me, you know, the, the, the folks out the, at home, I think, want to know that. Anxiety about never being done. Um, you know, I think, you know, we've talked about, we've talked before that I do, you know, I do feel a pressure to always be progressing mm -hmm. and always be improving and to always be growing. So, you know, I think that, and I think a lot of people who, who are obsessively focused on work to the point where they're able to build something big, you know, kind of share that anxiety. And yeah, I think, you know, I, I think it's, it's a club. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I think it's yeah. synonymous with drive. You know, it's, it's, it's what drives us. You know, I happen to be somebody 
who always feels the need to be productive. And you know, that has allowed me to basically create thousands and thousands and thousands of these stories um, over a period of five years. So, you know, there is a pressure to kind of keep growing, but you know, that's when I'm happiest. You know, I, it's, I started to learn, and I, I mean, you can say, people always ask me, you know, what is the message of humans in New York? How are humans all alike? Like, what do we all share? That's what everybody wants to kind of wrap up, you know, put a bow on it. And, yeah. bow on it. and I always avoid answering that. You know, I always say that my goal is not to tell the story or the meaning of humanity, but to learn the story of that person right in front of me. And how that relates to what we're talking about is that I don't think there is any one version of happiness. Some people's happiness is to be sitting on a beach, meditating, having, like Buddha, no desires. For me, it's to be moving. It's to be pursuing something. It's to be trying to achieve something. Like, I'm happiest when I'm in motion. And, you know, I think that that's the cast of mind that's allowed me to create Humans of New York. Well, it's clearly resonant. You started this thing, as you said, five years ago. Um, we've talked about it at length. Um, it's, it should be no secret to the folks at home that I consider Brandon a very close personal friend. Brandon has undertaken this thing. We've talked a lot about the dilemmas of being a creator, the things that that saddles us with. But you started this thing five years ago. You already talked about how it sort of is constantly evolving and in even a shorter period of six months, it looks different than before. Um, and yet there is a power that has that you have created around being the storyteller and i'd say you personally i don't know if you feel that it's you personally or it's the site or it's the humans of new york brand but uh i'm guessing that you didn't set out with that end in mind do you how do you feel now i'll, I'll make one more analogy and then i'll let you answer the question which is when uh, someone becomes very successful in the art world Oftentimes, they're not seeking this sort of success, or I'll say the word power, which is a scary word, but someone like Kurt Cobain, say, who he set out to make great music. You're clearly setting out to tell stories of um, people who live in New York and beyond, yet all of a sudden now, um, you, when you speak, everyone in the room gets quiet. How has that affected you or your work, or has it not at all? And you're just bulldozing ahead because you don't pay attention to that shit. Well, I think the paradox is if there is an influence when I speak, mm -hmm. it is because I very rarely speak. You know, you can look at my blog, and I have a social media account with 17 million followers on Facebook alone. And you can scroll back through thousands and thousands and thousands of posts and not find a photo of me on the site. Now, I put one picture up when a pigeon shit on my face because I thought it was so fun. So there's one, <laughs> one picture of me on my site with huge pigeon shit on my face. Um, I very rarely put my own words in. You know, again, this was an evolution. When yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. When but, I was 26 but, years old and I just moved to New York, sometimes I... I'd take a photo and I'd write some commentary, but if you look at the last few years, you don't find my voice. And I mean, am I in it? Yeah, I'm in every single one of those interactions. But the other person is always primary. 
It's always about the other people. And I call it work without a motive. You know, it's just when you are, your primary purpose is just to tell the stories of these other people, not to sell anything, don't have any ads. Only way I make money is by selling books, which is, you know, not taking money from any corporations or anything. That's just my work. And then giving speeches. I'm going to Michigan tomorrow to give a speech. Nice. That's how I pay for everything. Speeches and books. So... And you know, I'll just, I will throw in there because you won't say this for yourself, but even when you sell a book, it's not like you have a hundred city book tour right. where you're going around and doing, like you're, you're, you're not hustling, but there is this endemic sort of, oh, I have a book coming out. Here's a picture of the book. And then, <laughs> boom, this, like, it's like a bomb drops in the middle of a bookstore and your book hits, goes straight to number one on the New York Times bestseller list. So. Um, and for that, I, I admire that's, but that's also a little bit of a dose of what I'm talking well, it's, about. You it's know? the, I, you know, I, it's that the paradox of it is the more that I disappear, the more powerful humans of New York becomes, the more influential humans of New York becomes. And, you know, I think that one of the reasons it stands out so much on social media is that you know, I have never made it about myself. And social media inherently has always been about turning the camera on you. Yeah. Look at my food. Look where I'm sitting at the ball game. You know, look at me and this awesome famous person, Chase. You know what I mean? And it's like to have an account where somebody is very systematically and obsessively trying not to show up, but only tell the stories of other people. I think it does stand out and it, and it gives a sense of trust and, you know, a devotion in the audience because I think it's about something that's bigger than me and the audience realizes it and it's something that we're doing together. And so, you know, if your question is how has it been that, you know, the site's become so influential, I think a big part of it is how much I've tried to disappear. That is, um, there's something very sweet about it. And I think that's sweet from like a raw human emotion angle. And I think that, it's a sweet crowd. Yeah. And it really yeah. is. And I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Like, go to one of my book signings. Just sweet people, you know? It's like, we're not, the, we're not, we're not the coolest, we're not the edgiest, we're not the most cynical. You know, maybe not the smartest. I don't know. Lots of intelligent people. But you go to a Humans of New York event or a Humans of New York book signing. Everybody's sweet. So true. It's just a nice, nice, nice group of people. All 17 million of them. And then there's... <laughs> the party for 17 million and everybody's nice. Can you imagine? <laughs> but I mean, it's, there's, there's so much power in sweetness. Yeah. You know? Because these so are the people who volunteer... These are the people who donate. These are the people that support you when you're feeling bad. You know, mm -hmm. there's so much energy in that group because we're not too good for anything. You know, that's very, very powerful vehicle. It's something that's I think one of the things that helps it feel like a movement. And I, I know I think I'm guessing you you would sort of shun that because it's it ha it sounds calculated. Um, I'm just I'm putting words in your mouth there, but. Uh, Regardless, that is what it feels like as a person. So 
I consider myself a, a good friend of yours, but I'm also a fan of you and your work. And it does feel, I do feel like I have a special connection to you, but in many ways, I feel like another one of the 17 million people. And it makes me feel like I'm interested in humanity. And that is a primary interest that transcends a lot of personal needs, a lot of personal interests, and a lot of, uh, it feels good. It feels like it's something to be thankful for every day. You know, what do you do four of those things every day? I used to. Yeah. Um, but you try I tried mean, to cut back because I know you want to do a bunch well, of other yeah, stuff. Well, yeah, four right? used to be my magic number. Um, but, and that was a hard thing to let go of because, mm-hmm. you know, it went from, I had this, this number in my head that, um, you know, I was, I was fixed on four pieces of content a day. And I, every single day for years. You know, years, literally I, didn't I, miss a day. Christmas, Christmas Eve, like I had to have my four pieces of content. But the conversations went from 15 minutes to two hours. And it really took a lot of like unwinding in my psychology in my head to be like, you know what, it might just be one or two a day, but they're different. You spend a lot more time with the person, you learned a lot more about them. And you know, so that's, that's okay, Brandon. That's, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> Take a break. Um, but yeah, and so it's, it's, they've become much longer and it's, it's become shorter. Yeah. Or less of them. Yeah, as I'm sitting down with a bunch of people um, who inspire me and I think inspire millions of people all over the world, there are many characteristics that are the same. A lot of drive, a lot of desire to be different, not just better. Um, access is a core value of a lot of these people trying to create access into the lives of themselves or others or, um, or concepts, books or things that they're writing about. Yet yours is, it's like connection. What, what do you look at, like, what is the core principle? Right, well you say different. Yeah. What is it about humans in New York that's different? Yeah, um, that's what I'm at, I guess. Well, yeah. and I mean, that's what I, and you can see the entire growth and evolution of humans of New York revolves and springs out of my realization of what it is about humans of New York that's different. And, you know, after doing it for several months, um, and I realized, you know, very early on, I wasn't going to be the best photographer in the world. I didn't have much experience. But after a few months, I had stopped thousands of people on the streets of New York City. And I realized that I'm developing this very unique skill of stopping a random person. And in a very short amount of time, developing a rapport with that person and getting into a conversation with that person that after a few minutes we'll be talking about things that they might not have told their closest friends. And that was what was different about Humans of New York, that interaction. So powerful. And realizing that, I realized that that's what Humans of New York was. It wasn't photography, it wasn't writing, it wasn't journalism. It was that bubble that I had learned to do better than anyone else through doing it thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Yeah, that's the thing that a lot of people don't want to hear. You did it thousands and thousands of times to get good at it. it's the hardest thing in the world. Every single day I get treated like a homeless person. Every single day, even now. And you know how many times I walk up to people, like, excuse me, sir, and just like either have them put their hand in my face or just like look me up and down, you know? It's very hard to approach thousands and thousands of people just all day long, you know, on the streets of New York City. But I did it, mm-hmm. and I earned this skill. And once I realized that that's what Humans of New York was, 
Humans of New York was me having developed this ability to talk with strangers and learn their stories and tell their stories. I realized it wasn't about New York. And that's when I started traveling. And you know you're bringing your core competency. You know you're bringing your soul with you when your audience follows. When the engagement doesn't drop when you're going to Pakistan. Or the engagement doesn't drop when you're going into prisons. You realize that the reason these people signed up, the reason that they hit like, and I respect that like it's sacred. I respect the reason, and I don't think a lot of people do, Chase, and I think that is another big reason that Humans of New York was so successful, is that when someone hits like on my page, they hit like, it's like a contract. I'm agreeing to follow you for you to give me this. Not advertisements, not my opinions, not self-promotion. They agreed to follow me so I could give them stories of strangers on the streets. And I could do that anywhere. And not only have I done there everywhere, but that's all that I put on my blog. I don't put anything else. And that's why the engagement rate is so high, because I've never broken that covenant. I have never put something into the news feed of my audience that they did not want and they did not ask for. Wow. I have not heard, I've heard you say a lot of this stuff before and I have not heard that. I think that's, that is, um, that's poetic. Now, this interview technique that you have developed, the whole, like you said, the bubble, it's because it's more than an interview. It, the interview without the photograph, not as powerful. Photograph without the interview, not as powerful. Photograph without the interview being summarized by you, not as powerful. So it's the sum total of all these very, very interesting intersection of all these different axes that is so influential and so powerful. And I can say that for two reasons. One, because as a reader of the, actually I can say it for three reasons. One, as a reader of the blog, I feel like you just get right to the point. It's just very, very in, um, incisive without being um, bullish. Uh, the other reason I can say that is because on an earlier, like you have been on the show before, a long time ago, a few years ago, you, you were in the single, single million digit number now, so you, your, your site is orders of magnitude literally bigger than last time. But if you remember, it was a live studio audience when we did that. It was in Seattle, and we pulled someone to ran like we said, all right, show of hands if you want to. And do you remember the girl, she came up and she sat on the couch, and you did what you do to a stranger on the street, to this woman on the couch, and in what had to be like 25 seconds or less, you were into her deep, I think she it was a relationship with her sister or something, I don't remember the exact context, but it was like surgery and it happened in 20 seconds. That was powerful to watch. This is my third example, is when you did it on me. So I'm gonna tell the story now, I'm gonna hijack. Just He's still here, but I'm gonna pretend like he wasn't here. We're walking down the street, uh, it was early on in our friendship, I was like, man, I'm fucking in love with what you're doing, this is crazy. He's like, oh, come on, we'll just, and I, I just mostly was observing and we were hanging out and got a bite or something. And we're walking down the street and all of a sudden you turn and you said, you know, hey, just stand here for a second. And you, and you put your camera and you took a few pictures of me. I was like, oh God. <laughs> Put on the seatbelt, and you did the same thing to me. And in 20 to 30 seconds, 
Uh, you, do you remember what you talked to me about? Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, I don't remember. Um, well, do you want I'll me to remind everybody? No, I, 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 no, I remember very, I remember very, very. I, I don't remember how, like what series of questions you asked, but what I remember was you asked me, ultimately it was like, how come you and Kate decided not to have kids? And where we got to in a very short amount of time was my, my short answer. It was, um, you know, we, we're not against kids. We both said, if, if you want kids, honey, then you raise your hand and we can have kids. And same thing was true for, for Kate to me. Like if you're dying to have kids and, and it was our default mode to not have kids by default. Like, oh, what, what should we do? I don't know. Let's have some kids because we felt like that was sort of irresponsible. And I shared this with you. You shared it back. And I also, I think there's one other piece of, that had a little bit more edge to it, which is, and sometimes my friends who have a couple of kids when they, you know, have an extra beer or two and we're sitting down there like, damn, man, like you just got the life, you got this freedom, you can pick up and go anywhere. And I, got, I love my kids more than anything, but, and my experience of being on the receiving end of our conversation was that I had just, like someone had taken a flashlight and shown it on a piece of me that was really interesting. and. I didn't, but I didn't find that piece interesting. I'd never really talked to anybody about that. So, you know, there's, we can go into a little bit more detail uh, <laughs> because I still get asked to this day. Someone's like, hey, I saw your picture in the book, whatever. But what is it about your technique that allows you to get so deep and so personal and shine a light? You're saying things that they may have not ever told their closest friends or their spouse. I think it's things that they don't even know about themselves. Right, well, yeah. So that's a long lead and I get it. But to me that's, like, I want to know about that. I mean, I think the, a lot, especially lately, a lot of the most interesting things are, yeah, when you're it's, taking... It's like therapy. It is. I mean, the, and I'm, and I'm starting to use that word a lot more, is that, you know, I just started to admit myself, you know, after, you know, seven of the last ten people that I've talked to have started crying and hugged me afterwards, you know, it's like these really are starting to much less resemble interviews and much more, you know, resemble therapy. Um, you know, and it, I think it, one, just comes from a very focused interest from me. You know, I have about five questions that I normally lead in with. And a lot of these conversations take two hours, um, and each one's different. So, I mean, it's, the interview is, is not driven by any sort of pre-structure. It's all just a very intense focus and a very intense interest in someone's life that I do not think that they are used to having. Because, you know, so much of our conversation that we have with people we know is very surface level. What are you doing for dinner tonight? You know, how did you enjoy that ball game? Um, you know, do you, you have, what do you think about this guy at work? You know, to some, have somebody take an extreme interest in your history, mm -hmm. what's happened to you, what did that make you feel? You know, exactly in that moment when you were feeling that, like what thoughts were going through your brain? You know, what, what, what did you do after that? Where do you think those thoughts came, came from? Like, why do you think you felt that fear? And to ask people to go back and not just tell the story mm -hmm. of what happened to them, 
but try to find the origins that underlie the things that they felt and the reactions that they had. Again, it wasn't intended to be like therapy. It all just came from an intense curiosity that, and a desire to tell a story. You know, but mm -hmm. at certain levels, when your curiosity is deep enough and intense enough, you're going to keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going with your questions until you reach a level where you're asking questions that people have not asked themselves. And then by doing that, you're getting things, people to uncover and realize and break through things that they've never broken through before. And, you know, I always say, and it, it is like therapy, the best Humans of New York interviews, the ones that are most transformative for the, my audience or people who pay attention. Yeah, no, um, I think it's fair. Are, you know, the ones where at the end of the interview, I'm thanking the person for telling me their story and they're thanking me just as profusely for giving them that outlet. Beautiful. It is an it is an art form, and I don't think people have thought of it as an art form. Journalistically, there was uh, the art of the interview, what this is maybe, but there's something that is completely next level about the ability to ask questions, interview someone, tell a story, take their picture. Like that is a new. Like to, to me, that's one of, I, I cite all the time. My influences were. It's sweet that we're in New York right now because this is even a little bit more prudent, but or or prudent appropriate. What what word am I looking for anyway? Um, that the the artists in New York of the you can say fifties, but it's really sixties, seventies, and eighties. They were sort of reinventing a new kind of art while they were making art, and the commentary was about the art world. So you know Basquiat taking graffiti out of the streets and putting it into the into the gallery and, and Warhol taking stuff off the shelf and putting into the museum. Um, there's a sort, of, sort of a meta layer about that. And is there a sense, do you have a sense of something as profound as making, as defining this as a new art form? How do you um, think about it? Well, I mean, I, I don't know about defining it as a new art form, but you know, you were talking about the interest of taking something off the street, you know, and the, the contrast of, you know, what is art. You know, I think that one of the souls of Honey is that right now we are in a world that is saturated by stories. I mean, what is Facebook? What is Instagram? These are all outlets for people to tell stories and tell their stories themselves. So I think to, I think the million dollar question is, on a social media platform, Facebook, that is nothing but stories. Nothing but stories. They have a billion, what is people, it, a billion people telling stories. What is it about these stories that stand out and are so engaging? And, you know, I think that it's asking people what their weaknesses are, what their doubts are, what their fears are, what their worries, what their guilts are. You know, the thing that we all share, but that nobody talks about. You know what I mean? Mm. It's, I think that's what, and, and that's where the intense focus and the intense questioning, you know, comes out. 
is it brings the stories out of people in a way that they would not tell it themselves if they were to sit down at a computer screen. You know, it forces them to think about things and analyze things and reveal things in ways that they wouldn't prepackage it and share with the world themselves. And, you know, by getting that more multi-layered, some might say more realistic, more honest depiction of people, it stands out on a news feed when all you're getting are the highlight reels of yeah, people's everyone lives. else's bullshit, right? right. You have people, are, that's one of the things that I, I feel saddened by and I personally have tried to change, um, be more aware of it, is I set out telling stories about Again, there none, none of these story, those mechanisms that we talked about, Facebook, I mean, uh, YouTube, Facebook, all that stuff wasn't a thing when I started sort of telling stories about my work as a photographer, sort of this meta thing, instead of just being a photographer, talking about being a photographer. And I, my goal was to help people understand what it was like and certainly talked about some of the shitty things, but it was very much about like, hey, it's... Uh, it's an amazing way to make a living getting to tell stories with a camera. I'm so lucky. I feel so fortunate. And here I'm going to this place and getting to meet this cool person. And I realized uh, that, oh my gosh, what I'm, and people are like, oh my gosh, you have a dream life. Uh, you, you, you've heard all of the, you've read them on social media yourself. And it, it, I had a little momentary freak out of, wait a minute, now I am the person who's creating a highlight reel that everyone else is comparing their their day to day with, and so how do I tell a story that is authentic, but that doesn't make people feel shitty? Like you want to be inspirational, I want to tell a real story, uh, and I feel like there's this moment right now in the way that stories are being told online that is very paradoxical. I personally feel conflicted. That's one of the reasons I actually really like Snapchat. Because most of the things that I do on Snapchat are just literally me sitting at home. When I get home at the end of a long day, it's midnight, and I spend, you know, 15 minutes just responding to 25, 30 random snaps that are at me. And it's just like it's me sitting at home on my couch with my cat and Kate over there. She's like, "Is that uh, cat still alive?" Yeah, Dexter. Dexter, dude, <laughs> put it up for Dexter. Get more up. Right? How old is Dexter now? Dexter's 19. Wow. Um, but so uh, the, the the I guess my point is that. Are you, are you aware of that to the point that you are, like, are you actively trying to sort of usurp that or work around I, it? Or I, is it just inherent in storytelling? I, I, I just it? feel a revulsion towards it. Yeah. Um, I just, like, you look at my Facebook profile, my personal profile, it's so ironic is that, you know, possibly nobody's reaching more people on Facebook than I am. If you look at Brandon Stanton's personal profile, it hasn't been updated in years, you know? Yeah. It's just a graveyard, Yeah. you know? Um, and it's just the, you know, I do feel a, a, a revulsion and, and kind of with people who try to build their fame on how much better their lives are than yeah, everybody that's, else. That's exactly the thing. Like, oh, dude, uh, believe me, but there's I mean, plenty of shitty days. And like, yeah, so how well, do you be inspirational and in this social environment? Other than that's one of the reasons it's so elegant how you decided to do it is. Well, I don't, let, and I don't, I don't do it at all. Like, but that's what like, I mean. Like, that's you, the thing. It's well, it's it's like me. Like, and that's why you know I have have hid 
yeah. you know, so much. Um, and kind of just put these other people's stories out because I just feel, I feel very much a, a kind of discomfort um, of, of putting myself out there. And it's not even just like, you know, it's not all noble where it's just like, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to go there right now, so. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, part of it's comfortable, too. Yes. It's comfortable to not make it about me. Because I have so many flaws. (laughs) You know what I mean? We all do. And it's like, by... I've never once said that Humans of New York was about me or had anything to do with me. And therefore, Humans of New York is, what's the word I'm looking for? Humans of New York is impervious. It is... To that criticism? It, it's that it's bigger, it's more eternal than I, it's, what's the word I'm looking for? Humans of New York can't be brought down by me. Because it's never been about me. That would, that would be the only way that it could, really, is if it became about you and if you'd yeah. have some sort of it's deal like, with yourself to not make it that. Yeah, it's just like, not, it's not susceptible. There you go. Susceptible, yep. That's the word I'm looking for. All right, I, I, I want to go to a different place now. So I do want to make this interview a little bit more about you for the next 10 or 15 minutes. Okay. Um, and I, it's important for me to help the world see that. I mean, I love you like a brother, but you're also mm-hmm. not, the, not some noble creature walking through the woods you know, uh, in some sort of, uh, you're not having a, you're not holding a seance, you're not Buddha, and there's a, um, I like the competitive nature that you have, like you want to outwork other people, wanting to put four pieces of content out and doing it every day, you said working the holidays, your birthday, doesn't matter what, you're putting out content, and so you're in it for the people who have, as you said, made that contract with yourselves. But tell, uh, tell the people who are listening how, that um, that you are all those other things. It's not just all virtuous. No. Um, so you, <laughs> that, uh, you can't plead the fifth with me, brother. Oh, well, I mean, luckily, um, I mean, you know, one way, what is it? Uh, the Rolling Stone gathers no moss. You know, I think uh, luckily, you know, I'm so busy. Yeah. Um, one way to kind of, you know, battle any vices that you might have had in college uh, is to um, keep busy. You know, if there is, you know, one thing, yeah, we had talked about, I can be a very competitive person. But, you know, I also, I think, have dealt with that by rooting my competitiveness in something that will not lead to me growing arrogant. You know, I am not competitive about being better than everyone else. And this is by, you know, very much by force of my thought. Uh Yeah, you know, I've decided, you know, I'm a very competitive person, you know, but I don't want to be like that. You know, I don't want to be trying to be the most famous or the best or the the biggest or whatever. You know, I don't, because that is something that will make you miserable and destroy your relationships. Exactly. So... What I rooted my competitiveness in is that I said, you know what, one thing that I can do is I can work harder than anybody else. And you know, it's like, we 
are all different intelligences. We all have different natural gifts. You know, we all have different advantages in every different areas. But everybody has the same capacity to work. Same number of hours in the day for everybody. Exactly. Everybody has the same capacity to work. So if you're competitive about how hard you work, you know what I mean? That's something where everybody starts at the same starting line, you know? And that's so I always said that, you know, I, I do not, I will not be outworked. And you know, you can, and you can look at that. You can look at... Yeah, you're even saying you're gonna come to New York and you're gonna shoot, we're gonna go there next for the people who don't know your origin story, yeah. but you're gonna come to New York and you're gonna shoot yeah. 10,000 portraits. And, who know, says I, that? I think, it, yeah, I, and I think it's, you know, I think it's a, it's a very, because the work is the one thing that you can control. It's, it's the way, you know, and there's so many, I don't, I don't wanna name names, but there's so many, you can look at, there's personalities, there's very famous people right now that appear to be on the verge of a mental breakdown because they are so narcissistic and they made everything about themselves. It's all about them. It's all about them. And there's never enough. And it just leads to, it just leads to completely going off yeah, the rails. There's no, there's no grounding. If you make it about yourself, you can't control how many people like you. You can't control how famous you are. You can't control how successful you are. So if you pin your competitiveness and you pin your self-value on those external measures and make it all about yourself, you're going to have a very public Twitter meltdown. Okay? It's so true. Well, it's so painful. I'm laughing only because I'm trying to keep from crying. But it's so true. One thing you do have complete control over is your work. So if you'll bring it from way up here and bring it down to the ground, bring it to something earthy and say, you know what? I don't identify myself as the greatest artist of all time, to quote some other people. <laughs> I identify myself as somebody who works very, very hard. And that's what's got me here. And the bigger humans of New York gets, and the more people tell me that how much it's, it's affected their lives, and you use the word movement, uh -huh. you know, the more the people throw around words like that, to keep my sanity, and to keep my grounding, and to keep my humility, and to keep my focus, I have to ground my identity and say, you know what, I'm going to keep working as hard as I possibly can, because that's the one thing that I know nobody can take away from me is how hard I work. It's true, and you work very hard as someone who knows you personally. I've walked the streets with you one day, and I've watched it. Um, let's go back to, you're a bond trader. Two years. Two years. Bond trader. How did you get from being a bond trader to where you are right now? Um, so, I mean, that was kind of a, a blip in my life in itself. I was a history major, um, and I just basically, through a friend of mine who had studied finance and got a great job and had a lot of belief in me, um, got offered this job in Chicago that was very lucrative and prestigious, um, and it just was something that I felt like as a 22-year-old kid who didn't know what he wanted to do with his life, should grab onto that rope. Um, and so I did it uh, for two years and 
It's very engrossing. Uh, it was very, I, I got really hooked on it. Uh, it was very exciting and, and I obsessed over it. Uh, and then at the end of two years, I lost my job. And I kind of looked back at those two years. You want to talk to me for a second about how you lost the job? Was it just the economy, or was um, did you tell your boss to go fuck I, off? Or? No, I mean the the. Uh, I guess if you want, to, if you want, I don't know how technical you want to get. Um, Not very. If you <laughs> want to, if you wanted to look at my trading profile, I was somebody who took a lot of risk, um, a large amount of risk in yeah. in relation to the rest of the traders in the office. Um, and during times when markets were predictable, um, that risk was rewarded. Um, then, you know, when, when markets became very unpredictable, suddenly the more conservative profiles were the ones that were staying afloat and the risk takers were the ones that were taking it in the face. Um, and so I ended up losing my job. Okay. And then I kind of looked back at those two years of my life and I said, you know, I spent those two years trying to make money. Um, thinking about nothing but making money. You know, I, I told myself I was going to make my money first and get a bubble of security and then one day do something creative that was really fulfilling. That was my narrative to myself. I Is love that, this. We'll, we'll go there too. I love that. <laughs> even, I was like, oh yeah, even this, like, even those two years like I viewed as part of my creative journey. You know, I was going to make money that would enable my creativity later on. But then at the end of two years, I had nothing to show for it. I mean, I did not leave with a bank account. I lost everything I made and probably a little more. Um, and I looked back at those two years of my life and I realized I had no money and I could never get that time back. And so that's when I made the decision that the remainder of my life, or at least the next six months, if, until my unemployment ran out, right? Uh, <laughs> was going to be trying to figure out how to make just enough money so I can support myself where I could do whatever I wanted with my time. So killer. Then you moved to New York. You lived in a, I think you talked about an apartment that barely fit a queen mattress, is that uh, right? Well, I went, I had a sublease in Beverage Stuyvesant with three people I didn't know. My room was a mattress on the floor, had nothing on the walls, no furniture, nothing. I just had everything I had in a suitcase. Um, I didn't go into any bars. I didn't go to any restaurants. I didn't really have any friends here. All I did was photograph. Again, because like I knew that was the sacrifice I was making. That I was here to do what I wanted to do all day long. And if I was here to do that, if I was sacrificing furniture to do that, then that's what I needed to be doing all day long. And, you know, I think... I'm going to speak at the University of Michigan tomorrow. Um, and one thing that I always tell college kids is do not use following your dreams as an excuse not to work hard. Because following your dreams correctly is nothing but hard work. And it's not just a slogan. So many people use following their dreams as a way to get people off their back who ask why they're unemployed. You know what I mean? Oh, I'm, I'm trying to be a photographer. I'm trying to be a musician. Really? How much are you practicing? Oh, well, you know, I got together with the guys last weekend and we played for a couple hours, you know? It's like, if you're following your dreams, if you're telling people that you're pursuing something and that's what you want to be, is that how you're spending all your time? 
or you were sitting around playing video games all day and doing just enough to claim it. To claim it. And that and I realize how many people in this city are doing that. How many musicians and photographers and people that I was meeting who told me they were doing this stuff, but that's not how they were spending their time. They weren't doing anything, but they were taking just enough photos to call themselves a photographer. So like, I really do think that this is America and you can achieve your dreams, but not if you use following your dreams as an excuse to not work hard. Go back to Georgia. All right, I'm there. Uh, you were, <laughs> let's call it high school. Mm -hmm. High school in Georgia. How do you get from high school in Georgia to the trading floor in Chicago? Um, uh, well, by way of college in Georgia, <laughs> that's, okay. that's one start. Um, I mean, Born and raised in Georgia? Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Georgia. Yeah, uh, I was a history major. Uh, if you want exactly what happened, um, I was a history major um, at University of Georgia, and I was volunteering. Um, I was volunteering for Barack Obama's campaign. I was very passionate about Barack Obama back in 2008. And, uh, excuse me, so... There was a time where I was reading every single piece of political analysis about the campaign. I was just, everything about that campaign I was reading was back in the primaries. And you know, there was a point where I knew 100% that he was going to win the primary, just based on me reading every article that ever came out of it. And there was a betting site where he had a 70% chance of, of winning the, pre, uh, the primary. And so I took out $5,000 in student loans and I bet it on Barack Obama to win the primary and got a 40% return on my money, which was like $1,000 and wasn't much. But I told that story to my friend who was working in Chicago, which is why he thought I would be a good bond trader. Yeah, Literally so. because you, you, right. you bet on the primary. That's, that's <laughs> as I get older, I feel more and more squeamish <laughs> about telling that story because I met the president and yeah. I just like, yeah, it's the, the fact of, yeah, I, I bet on your campaign. <laughs> a thousand bucks on yeah, you, boss. Yeah, thanks. All right, so let's talk, speaking of, you know, spending time with Obama, um, You've done so much um, with the UN, with traveling abroad. Uh, highlight some of those things. Like, what are you psyched about that humans of New York have given you that opportunity to do? Mm. Um, you know, again, I, I feel super lucky to have always, have had many of these debriefs with you. But you, you certainly got to have a highlight reel of the things, the opportunities, this this site, and working so hard and being rewarded with the movement that you've created. That it's it's provided opportunity. What are you psyched about? Like, not in a um, Again, I'm, I'm looking to actually make this a little bit lighter. So what, what are some things you've done that as, as you wouldn't have been able to do without the, the project that you built? Um, so the, you know, one of the really cool things for me is to be able to go into places that have nothing but a negative narrative coming out of them and to stop random people. And I say I don't go there to tell a positive story about this country. But I go there and I tell a random story about the country. And in comparison to all the negative news that's coming out, it comes off looking very positive. Um, Humans of New York is very famous in Pakistan. 
It is very famous in Iran. Um, those two countries were ones that I was very, very proud um, to go there and tell the stories. Um, and it was embraced by both countries. Uh, I was able to go into prisons, um, which was very cool, and tell the stories of prisoners. You talked about it, you talk about it very passively. I was able to go into. Yeah. Versus what you really did is you made that happen. You decided that you want to tell the stories of prisoners. Right, right. So, like, uh, Well, that why? one did, did get some facilitation. That was one where I was allowed to. Um, okay. Iran was kind of a... Uh, Iran, I was just one where I just kind of went on my own. Pakistan, I had a little help. Um, prison was facilitated. Um, but sure, but you certainly, like, I want to do this. Right, right, right. Because you, one of the things you do is control your time and decide what you want to do yeah. and what you don't want to well, do. Well, I mean, I think the, again, I think the stories have the most power and the most impact when they are coming from populations that are generally feared or misunderstood due to a propensity for only negative stories to come out of that place. Um, the U.S. Whether, to sort of... Yeah, yeah exactly. It's just like, you know, like what, vilify are the, what are the stories that we hear coming out of Pakistan? And it's nobody's fault. It's not... It, that doesn't, you can't that, point... Yeah. Well, that's important to realize, is that it's not a conservative effort to vilify. It is that our media is incentivized to tell the most dramatic story in order to keep people engaged. And when you realize that the media is incentivized to tell dramatic stories, you ask what creates drama, mm -hmm. conflict, violence, and sex. And that's why the extremes of these things are so prevalent in our media. Yeah. Especially coming out of a place like Pakistan, where all the stories that are coming out are terrorism, angry mullahs, things that are very sensational and that therefore are good stories good as in entertaining and which, entertaining as in drive clicks and clicks as in and drive sell, dollars and sell yeah. newspapers um and so when you have somebody coming there and just stopping random people on the streets and just asking them about their lives and the storytelling isn't incentivized towards the sensational and towards the extremes but is incentivized to the person in to front of your human, face yeah. to telling their story then the stories that come out are in comparison extremely positive and so, you know, the, to be able to do that in Iran and Pakistan, I mean, those are probably the two places that I'm the proudest of going to. Um, and those are the populations that when I run into on the streets of New York, if it's a Persian or a Pakistani, those are the groups of people that are most excited to see me. And it feels great. Wow. I think that's... Did you, do you feel like you... Did you recognize this through the process of your work, or was it something that you saw? Like, did you see the end in mind? It or? was very. It's very little of this is is through strategizing. Yeah. It's through. I haven't even had time to strategize. <laughs> I'm just like you know. It's it's just working every single day and tinkering, and then like all of these insights and that I've had into my work are retroactive. You For know, sure you can connect it out looking backwards. Yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, of course, that's why it works. You know, of course. But in reality, my day to day was just going out there and stopping people all day long and interviewing people all day long and just changing a little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit. This is more interesting. Just figuring out what works. And then when it comes to Pakistan and when it comes to Iraq, trusting what works 
and taking risks along those lines. That is a thing that I feel. So there's a, I, I, I feel generally like I can lump the people who pay attention to the work that I do to this particular degree of live. There's people who are really trying to start something like they're in a job that they don't love and they want to take that leap. Um, or I call it from zero to one, basically do from not engaging in this in um, creative work because they were told their whole lives they weren't creative or because they don't want to look at that side of them. And I, we obviously believe at Creative Live that everybody in the world is creative and there's creativity in all of us. Uh, and then there's a second group that has discovered that and wants to go somewhere from one to ten, ten being someone who's really, really highly engaged in this kind of work. Um, and what I'm so moved by on your account is the just the self-awareness that you don't actually that a voice isn't something that you decide you're going to have and then claw to get that voice. The voice is something that you you literally get a voice by doing the yeah, work the, and then be like, oh shit, yeah, the, I'm standing in my own voice. Well, the, yeah, I mean, the so most, talk to the, me about that. Well, the most simple way that I can say it is that if I had waited for the idea for Humans of New York, I would have never created Humans of New York. That's my simplest way of saying it, is that it, start, it started with what? It started with a commitment to myself that I was going to find a way to make just enough money to support myself doing what I loved all day long, which was photography. And I loved taking I started taking pictures of people, and I had this crazy idea, well maybe if I take 10,000 portraits of people in New York City and plot them on a map, that project will be inherently interesting enough that it will draw enough attention to my work, which maybe I'll be able to sell prints, Maybe I'll, be, maybe I'll be able to pay the rent if I structure my photography in this way. And then I just went out and did it all day long. And, you know, I probably just reached 10,000 recently. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so by just committing myself to that and getting out there, it was, it was a commitment to the work. That was what was most powerful was that I set myself such a huge goal that it forced me to go out there and work every single day. And then everything fleshed out through that process of having my hands in the clay. I love, I love the, the, the hanging your hat on work is, you know, we talked about it already, you just said it again. Made me think of a, a friend of mine, Casey Neistat here in New York, puts out a vlog every single day. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, and, and like that's hard work. And a vlog is not like holding up your phone going, hey, I'm on the grocery store, now I'm going to make some beautiful film every day. You know, sometimes they're longer or shorter based on his time constraints. You know, I've talked to him about how he like tries to compartmentalize it a little bit because it's just literally like, and he shoots all his own, his own stuff. But that's like creating sort of this insurmountable goal, putting work at the forefront. And then that's like, shit happens because of that. Like you put in the hours, you want to, you want to know how to make stuff happen, put in the work. And there's, I think this shortcut culture that we have um, and and I think, well, I think people are also paralyzed by the need to make something great. You know, it's like people are, oh, if it's not the best idea ever, it's not worth doing. And that's why I always say, you know, what got me here was not setting out to create Humans of New York. It was the decision to make just to figure out a way to do what I loved all day long. 
Now that's something that's attainable for everybody. And you know, I told them, and I like, I don't want to be that Tony Robbins, you know, motivational speaker that guarantees everyone that they can do exactly what they want to do if they just put their mind to it. They can do anything. You know, I don't say that. You know, I was lucky enough to get here. But one thing that you can attain, I am convinced, is that you can figure out a way to do what you love to do all day long, to own your time. And to me, that is the most important thing to be able to do. And that I think everybody can do. Three books. Three books? Three books. That's oh. what you put out, right? Oh, I thought you were asking me to recommend three books. No. Nope. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go there. I'll get there. People, again, one of the things that I, I do want to make this about you because I think there's so much of a, the, the movement around humans in New York. And um, I, I feel like this is a really humble and simple and authentic way to get to know a little bit more about you. Um, let's talk about the book for a second. So you've done a couple of books. Uh, the most recent one is one I want to talk about. Do we have one of those here? Stories? Yeah. Did I bring it? Yeah. No. We'll put it on the screen right here. Or maybe <laughs> right here. Or somewhere over here. Um, talk about the evolution of the, the three books that you've done. Stories being the most recent one. Also, it just went straight to the top of all the lists and it was powerful. And um, well, they're two completely different books. The third one's a kid's book. Okay. So, um, you know, I think that doesn't really fit into the arc uh, in a way that's very enlightening. Um, the two books are completely unrecognized or different from each other. You know, if you, because it's been a five-year process of going from trying to photograph 10,000 people in the streets of New York City to not even having that number in my mind just going out every day now and Doing stopping some people and doing and focusing on telling you know a very intense story about the person in front of my face so the first book is completely visual it's, you know yeah, if, if you you know it's and, and like all artists I almost like when somebody tells me they have my first book I'm always like apologetically like oh you, you've got to look at the second one you know because <laughs> like I, I don't even recognize that anymore you know I don't even recognize that anymore as my work and it's by, it was my most successful book by far, you know? And it's, to me, that's almost a different person. You know what I mean? Uh, it's very visual, a lot of quirky, colorful characters, a few small quotes. I was just starting to get quotes from mm -hmm. people. Sometimes some commentary from me, which I would never do these days, you know? Sometimes I wrote, wrote my own captions, little quirky, you know? 26 year old humor uh, some, some of some it's pretty funny um, but and now you have the second book it's the, the, the photography's gotten less interesting I've actually gotten to be worse of a photographer you think oh yeah absolutely I've lost my eye a lot really yeah because you're so focused on the story be, exactly because I am no longer putting somebody in the context of their background and looking at you know colors and angles and shapes. And I remember you did that. I was wearing yeah. like you got a blue vest on. Yeah. Stand in front of that yeah. graffiti. Yeah. Um, and you know I've I've or just even looking for a moment and framing a moment that's going on. You know I've stopped exercising that muscle because what I'm doing now is I'm talking with somebody and I'm looking for a facial expression. You know when they're talking, it's ch -ch -ch, you know. Ch -ch 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 -ch. 
So it's become so much not like photography that I've actually, in the five years, I think I've, <laughs> I've gotten to be a worse photographer because I've stopped doing it as much. Well, let me, let me, um, let me tell you what I think. Okay, go ahead. I think your photography has continued to improve. I feel like I'm going back to the thing I was leaning on earlier around you've actually developed an art form and it's the story plus the caption. And the story plus the caption is so, it's almost transcendent of just photography. So trying to think about it as just photography, this my thing is a piece of photography and a piece of writing. I think you, you've sort of made something new and different and so trying to compare a part of the thing that you have now with the a thing that you had earlier, that's where I think you're, that's my, uh, my dropped out PhD in the philosophy of art tells me that about your work. So yeah. for what it's worth. Yeah. I mean, but you know, part of me even, part of me takes pride in not taking pride in the photography, you know? Yeah. Because I, I think it's such a visual thing to, for people to latch onto, like, oh, he takes photographs, he must be a photographer, that must be what he is. And to me, the soul of Humans of New York is so much held in the interaction between the person and I, that I think I almost purposely distance myself from having photography skills. That's interesting. To emphasize that. Is that, and to emphasize, is that a defense mechanism, you think? Because um, you don't want to be judged on that axis? or Not, not defense mechanism. Again, it's like I, I, I almost... It's more to something rather than away from something I, else. I think so. Yeah. You know, it's almost, you know, it's just like, it's my indicator of where I think the value of my own work lies. Uh, I've heard a lot of, you know, friends of mine that are in high places um, talk about you and your work, knowing you, uh, actually to be crystal, I was speaking with Ariana Huffington earlier today, and she was like, I love Brandon's work. I love, and you guys can, there's, for those of you that are on the other side, you're, you're in the camera, but for the people on the other side of the camera, we are like, cool, yeah, I'm going to visit with Brandon a little later. You say, who are you talking to? You know, who, who's else? You know, and, and there's some pretty cool people in this project. And she was so um, passionately leaning into you and your work uh, as a New York resident that, you know, I'm sure there's some sort of a connection there. But there's a lot of people, who, um, Ed Norton, I think you've done some work with Ed Norton. I've heard him talk on, on friends of mine's blogs about connecting with you around some charities. And uh, how, Talk to me about that at all. Is that, I mean, we're going to talk about a Donald Trump post that you wrote uh, in just a second. Um, you've got Hillary Clinton leaning in on you and your work, not just because of the Trump thing, but maybe, I'm sure it benefits her. But... Talk about the your your work is an every man and woman's work, and that's the stories you're designed that are designed to tell. And in the, do you as you're shying away from it being about you, you're shying away from it's not really photography skills. Um, are you sort of is there any part of you that's uh, shying away from the 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 showering of accolades from people who have a disproportionate share of the media and are happy to sing your praises. Well, well, um, I mean, I don't have, uh, I'm, I don't go to cocktail parties and I don't go, so I don't have a, a lot of 
famous friends. Um, Ariana Huffington is an exception. That, that's a friend of mine. Um, and so gracious. Uh, oh, right. Yeah, and she is a friend of mine because she is just a beautiful person that I want to be around. So like, just because like her, her warmth. She's uh, so genuine. Yeah. So thoughtful. Um, so she's, heartfelt. She's somebody that I, I connect with. Um, you know, as far as the when I talk about the when I talk about keeping myself out of it, mm-hmm. I talk about with the audience, the public side of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but I am constantly trying to use my influence to grow humans of New York behind the scenes. Whether that's working with the White House to go into prisons, to working with the United Nations to go to 20 different countries. I was just at a meeting at Memorial Sloan Kettering to do a series on pediatric cancer, which I'm very excited about. Um, you know, these are things that have come because Brandon Stanton has become known from his work. Yeah. So it's not that I, I completely shun it. I, I shun it. I don't, I don't project it publicly. But I'm always looking how to make my work better. And, you know, the, the size of the humans in New York and the size of the audience, you know, has allowed me to meet people um, that can help me with my work. Uh, and those are connections and relationships that I don't look down on or I don't, you know, I Disavow don't shun. Disavow in any yeah. way, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, there's so many people out there that can help humans of New York grow. Um, and so, you know, that's... That's not something that I shirk off. Yeah. Cool. I mean, that's, I, that's admirable. I like the, and that's actually the point that I was, I fit, in asking that question, yeah. I thought that might be the answer, but to me, that's a distinction. That's like that, that you are, you, know, you don't want to be so cool and so much about the work that you're not actually interested in it growing. In fact, the other way, that's the part I was talking about earlier yeah, about being I mean, competitive. I am and, just like, yeah, it's just you know? like, yeah, like behind the scenes, like I've got a lot of Chase Jarvis in me. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like I that could be it could be construed many ways. But <laughs> we'll take I it. mean, I yeah. I do. You know, I just the work itself. You know, the the art I I completely keep out of. But you know, there is um, a large infrastructure mm-hmm. that underlies you know, humans of New York's ability to do really interesting work, to be able to travel to 20 different countries to, with interpreters and fixers and transportation on the ground everywhere. In risky places. Yeah, that's, that requires facilitation and contacts and friends mm-hmm. to be able to work with the White House, you know, that much. To, you know, there, there, is, a, there is a part of me that is extremely strategic in my mind is on the business of humans of New York. You know, I'm, I'm not that pure artist. Oh, it's all because then I'll be, I will be constrained. I won't be able to reach as many people and interview as many people and do as interesting of work as I can. Mm -hmm. But again, that's, I don't break that wall. When I'm meeting with those people, I don't take a selfie and put it on the blog. 
And I think that's the big difference, is that I keep a wall between my work behind the scenes and the stories that I share with millions of people. How do you measure the success of your work? I mean, it's, 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 I mean, it's kind of like a cliche, obvious answer, and it's something that I think a lot of people would roll their eyes on about. Like, it's 17 million likes on Facebook. And you say, oh, you're just doing it for the likes? Like, you're judging it by the likes? Like, these are 17 million people who are connecting. Yeah. It's a vote. It's like you said, um, it's a contract. Well, it's, it's no, it's a, not a vote. It's people. It's people. You know? Mm -hmm. These are people that are hearing the stories of other people and recognizing that their story is similar to when their father passed away or when they had cancer or when they were abused as a child. And they're taking comfort from these stories. They're learning from them. They're growing from them. And if they happen to run into me on the street, they come up and they give me a hug and they tell me about that one that really touched them. And so it's never been about money for me. But I will not be so pure of an artist to say it's not about audience. Because oh, yeah. to me, I just... That it, will always provide. There's well, a relationship. It's, it's, it's the, I mean, th those are lives. Those are lives that the work is touching. And the thought that I can tell a story of somebody who has never been heard before that can touch the lives of that many people. Like, to me, that is a very, very, very good feeling. And, yeah, it's, I, I think it's a measure of success. I, I said it earlier that I'm, uh, Snapchat is interesting to me because of this one-to-one -one connection with people who... I've never met before and, and will likely not. Um, you know, there's all kinds of different platforms, but you know, I, I was uh, with some friends just a couple nights ago and like, oh my God, they <laughs> looked in my Snapchat. Like, there was just hundreds of people who had sent me a snap and I'm trying to answer as many of these people as I can. And I try and time box it because you could, that could be your job and that's not, I think, why people pay attention to what I'm doing. Because of photography or Creative Live or any of that stuff. But I do love, I get energy from, like you talked about, the human connection, creating is something that other people will connect to. And it's about lives and about human beings. Knowing that there's a human being on the other side of uh, a post or a like or uh, a snap or whatever the sort of the mechanism, the connection, and you, I'm taking this word from you, the connection is that what gives you juice? Well, I mean, and I think it's because there's, I, 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 and I would say it's a distinction okay. that 17 million people are connected to my work and not to my life. Fair. You know, and I think that is a, you know, Brandon Stanton has zero social media followers. You know what I mean? Um, but my work and what I create impacts tens of millions of people. And to me, that would be, that success. And I, I think that's an important distinguish because like I have zero Facebook fans. I don't have a personal fan page. I don't, I have zero, but the work itself connects to 17 million people. 
And then to me, that feels good to imagine all those people being influenced and affected and changed, hopefully improved by yeah. those stories. Do you, uh, what's something that if you shared it now that most people wouldn't know about you? Hmm. I'm, I, I think we've learned a lot of things in this talk, but what's one thing that you're pretty certain if, that if you shared, most people go, oh wow, I wouldn't think that about it. And it could be something kooky. It can, I'm like, trying I, to think I, of a good answer. I'm, like, trying, I'm trying, I'm trying yeah, to think yeah, of a good answer. I'll continue to, to stall for you. Okay, <laughs> I'll, I will give you many examples, like that you like chocolate chip mint Girl Scout cookies, or that you didn't enjoy going the, to the Black Sea Beach. At um, the age of four, I was the number one snow skier in my age group in the state of Georgia. The age of four snow skier in Georgia is you top. You, you my dad was a uh, ski instructor, so I used to go to North Carolina every weekend and snow ski. And you know NASTAR, NASTAR, how they set up yes, on the, the races. Yes, yeah. of course I know that. So I grew up skiing and snowboarding. For only sure. three four-year-olds in the state of Georgia managed to go through all the flags correctly <laughs> and uh, finish. <laughs> and I was number one. Number one. And I got some Ray-Bans. You got Ray-Bans? Yeah, yeah. Nice. And then every year I just, I fell down a few notches <laughs> until the age of to, eight. To four, right? Until, You're down to number four. Until the age like... of eight, I completely <laughs> fell off the list and it's all been downhill since then. <laughs> That's precious. Um, so, there are a lot of folks who I feel like have taken on some, at some, to some degree, the taking pictures every day and sharing them. Uh, specifically on Facebook, there's the Sartorialist, there's lots of other um, people who are influenced, either are straight ripping off your work or are influenced by your work. Um, and well, yeah, Sartorialist was before me. Long so, before, yeah, yeah, yeah he's sure. definitely not one of those people. For sure, yeah, and I'm not trying to make that distinction, yeah, yeah. but, um, and I think I've said, or I'm basically quoting somebody else, and I'm trying to remember who it was. It's an, I think it's an amalgamation of so many different things, but like, um, if you steal from one artist, it's stealing. If you steal from a lot of other artists, it's research. Um, and it's from, a, I know a guy named Austin Kleon, who's a part of this series, talks about that in a book called Steal Like an Artist, which is just how to sort of move through the world and, and be, allow yourself to be influenced. Um, does, is providing inspiration uh, on your to to other upcoming photographers is that on your radar at all? Do you want to help other people realize that there's stories in every person and and is there other people on the other end of this video or this audio that you, know, you think are going to be inspired by what you're doing? I mean, the, the, still just back to the work. Yeah, I mean, it sound as blunt as it sounds, no. It's all about the work. Yeah, well, it's just like and anything. Again, it comes down to, do you want to inspire other people? What do you message you're trying to give the world? You know, what are you trying to show about humanity? What are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying to start a movement? And again, it all comes down to no. I'm trying to work hard. Well, we're yeah. just even more basic. I'm just trying to get out there and find three stories every single day. You know, every single day. And, you know, all of the inspiration, all of the growth, all of the influence, has just been built on top of me trying to be further along when I go to sleep tonight than I was when I woke up. 
and it's yeah it's all been you know very focused uh on on the now as opposed to making some huge plan and then trying to fill in the pieces or build up towards it potentially one exception to what you've said uh it, you know keeping yourself out of your work and mm. um, the exception yeah i don't know if it is the exception there are a couple of yeah, exceptions right. but the uh, big one the big one <laughs> is writing an open letter to donald trump um and in that uh, you read it on Casey or Katie Couric. You you read it on some other news sites. The 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 note went crazy, explosive, viral. I think um, I I'll just quote some things that I heard. I don't, I'm not going to quote the source because there was too many sources, and I I'm not frankly a journalist. Um, but I I heard that it was the most shared post in the history of Facebook. So you're talking about a thing that has a billion people, you know, a billion and a half active monthly users, and all of them are writing, and they're all writing many, many posts, sometimes many a day. So we're talking about hundreds of billions of posts, and you have the most shared post of all time. Now, you can debate that. Anyone could, but we're not. We're just going to take that as face value. And um, that it's been in hundreds of millions of feeds. That, my friend, is influence and that came from Brandon it was signed Brandon to Mr. Donald Trump uh, what made you decide to do that and you know what's what was the before during and after um, of that experience <laughs> so uh, well you know as a, a history major I've been you know I also follow along very closely with um, what's going on in politics and the I obviously have been forming very strong opinions um, especially um, about I mean we have I you know being a history major you read about these demagogues and but like in my life I'm 32 years old you know in my memory you know all the politicians that I've been exposed to you know Barack Obama with his his very hopeful orations he was a he was in a kind of outlier but beyond that they've been very kind of boring conventional politicians and you read in these history books about these demagogues and they seem like something out of the past and then you watch a man resembling all of these things that you've read about of people who have taken power and used that power to do very bad things by appealing to people's fear and hatred and to, by tapping into emotion and castigating, you know, and, and, and characterizing entire groups of people as threats. How can you draw a picture on a circle on a hundred million or a billion people? And, yeah. yeah no, sorry. Yeah. No. And I mean, and <laughs> but I mean, and that's that's what they do is yeah. you you create an us versus them mentality, and you basically unify people not through any adherence to an idea, not through any vision of the future, but through emotion of anger, hatred, and fear, and you build your mandate and you build your um you build your your voter base based on that emotion and to see somebody coming up and doing that through appealing to these kind of these fears and these hatreds and 
just demonstrating, basically bringing people to him on the basis of his personality, on the basis of that I'm going to get in there, I'm going to fix everything. I'm not going to tell you how to do it, but I'm going to fix everything, I'm going to find the best people, I'm going to make the greatest deals. And I'm watching this, and I'm just seeing this man straight from the history books coming up in modern America using the exact same tactics. And these tactics are immoral. They're wrong. They're hateful. He's, he's, he's encouraging violence. He's encouraging racism. And Overtly, I'm going to shoot Muslims with bullets dipped in pig's blood. Well, that was a story he told about somebody who did. That one was a little bit more subtle. Okay. His more overt ones is, okay. if you punch somebody in the face, I'll pay your legal fees. That yeah, was someone, a, yeah, any of these protesters. Yeah, punch that was an face. overt appeal to violence. Um, and so, you know, I'm just watching this, and, I, and I'm having a very strong moral reaction that what I'm seeing is very immoral. What, didn't he say he could shoot so he could walk down Fifth Avenue mm-hmm. and shoot Again. someone and he wouldn't lose any votes? Right. It's these, I mean, very calculated injections of violence. Very calculated. He's not a stupid man at all. He's very smart in his own way. Um, he very calculated appeals to racism, very calculated injections of violence, and an atmosphere of fear into his rhetoric over and over and over again um, to develop a, a following, a very cohesive following that's developed around the motion. And, you know, watching him do this, I started to feel, have feeling strong feelings about it. And I, again, have never wanted to put myself into my website. And so I'm like building up all these feelings. And I know I have this audience of 20 million people. And I'm feeling so strongly that what this man is doing is wrong. And that what this man is doing is immoral. That I'm starting to feel guilty for not saying anything about it. Because I have an opportunity, I have an audience, and I'm not saying anything because I don't want to put myself on the blog, I don't want to make it about me, and I don't want to take a side in what I see as a political campaign. And eventually, that moral guilt grew to the point where it outweighed my desire to not be political. And so I typed it up, and I closed my eyes, and I posted it, and... Damn. Yeah. Well, uh, I think it takes a lot of courage. Before we started recording, we were talking about it just a little bit. And uh, how did you feel before you hit send? Uh, no, yeah. It was, again, it was, yeah, I was nervous. Do, yeah. you, do you think that, is that part of your work or is that separate from your work? Uh, I'd say that's separate from my work. Uh, is it interesting that it's the most shared Facebook of all time? You've done thousands of posts. And something that is not your work right. is the most popular of all time. Right. I mean, that's what, why would you separate it from your work? Just because of the purity of the work? Because it's, that was my voice. Not, yeah. not, not the voice of the... Yeah. yeah, that was not a story, which I think is what humans well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, um, I think it was incredibly courageous, buddy. I think it was freaking incredible. Um, and the part, like, take let's take the politics out of it for a second and talk about the. I love to me morality outweighs politics, um, and whether that's a justification or a story we're telling one another, or if it's something that clearly you, you you feel and felt that I think you were super articulate in the news about it. Um, 
it's that moment before you hit send on something that you know is um, that you have personally wrestled with. That's the thing that I, I'm hoping the folks at home can take away is that this um, before you do acts that require courage or introspection I thought, or well, and I thought it was going to be a trade-off. That's the crazy thing is that it was the the most shared post I've ever had. I think I put on two hundred thousand new followers that day. There were what was the, what, can we get the, the stats just real quick? Uh, Two million? Sorry, two million. Two million shares or likes? Likes. Gosh, millions of shares. I know that for a fact. Um, and so I, I thought it was going to be a trade-off. I thought it was going to be me doing this thing that I was going to be a moral relief to me. Okay, I did it. Yep. But I thought that it was actually going to set me back a little bit with my audience for injecting what I believed a lot of people would see as a political opinion mm -hmm. into this blog that has been nothing about telling about nothing but telling the stories of other people. So like when you know when I was it came from and I I mean I can in, in the retrospect, you know, it's it's brought so many public so much publicity to humans of New York. But I can look back and, and be very confident and very satisfied knowing that it came from like a very pure moral place yes. and that I actually thought it would be bad for me. But, you know, I still did it because I felt so strongly about it. Um, and yeah, I was nervous before I posted it. There's no words that I could wrap around that to explain it, but I think that within that story there is a clear explication of how y'all in the world should feel about the stories that you're compelled to tell or the acts that you're compelled to just Intuition is very, very strong. It's a, it's a thing that's guided me personally. It's guided my work. It's guided my morality. Um, and I just tend to, I want to encourage people to listen to that. So it was super cool and courageous. Again, regardless of your political uh, affiliation, uh, not you personally, but anyone who's listening, there is something that's so powerful about listening to that part of yourself. And so I give you... Uh, many kudos. Kudos? What, what do I give you? I give you. I, mean, kudos, we already, I already gave you a big kudos. ass hug. Um, <laughs> high five and a pizza. We should. Speaking of high five and a pizza, we should go get a bite. Um, I'm super thankful. Is there anything I, I asked you that I shouldn't have, or no, anything I, I hope, should? Uh, what, what else? I hope you can edit some uh, interesting things out of that. <laughs> <laughs> cut it. Cut out the rambling, Chase. No, I'll know you do it. No, for you. no. Man. <laughs> I'm so thankful Thank that you. you're willing to come here and sit with us a little no, bit. Um, it's, good to see you. it's super fun to be able to. Uh, um, just, I feel like I, I, I get to have a special seat watching your work evolve and grow, and it's been really fun. Man. Thank you. All right, that about wraps it up. But before I let you go, I want to say, A, a huge thank you. B, let you know how to find me. I'm basically at Chase Jarvis all over the internet on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm very active on Snapchat. You guys should check it. If that's a platform that you enjoy, uh, check me out there, as well as all the other ones. It's a super important ask for you to share this also. Uh, subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, and or Stitcher. And most definitely, if you're willing to put in a little bit of extra juice, please leave a review on iTunes. That helps make our podcast more visible. Last place that you can check it out and, and get some additional value is in my newsletter, which is chasejarvis.com slash VIP. That is where I put content out before it hits my social platforms. 
So that's sort of the insider track. Leave comments all over the internet for me. I will track them down and respond as best I can. And uh, again, huge thank you for listening to the podcast. And I'm looking forward to the next episode already. I hope you'll join me next time.